Hi, and welcome to Big Sound Small Town. I'm your host, Sandy Carlton, and this is a podcast about the lives and stories of the musicians, writers, artists, and their associates that have their roots in the small towns and communities across America. If you like what you hear, tell somebody. Enjoy. Hey, this is Raina Gellert. I play the fiddle and I write songs and I'm currently living in East Nashville. Wow, Raina, I'm glad to have you on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> did it snow? Have you, did you have snow this weekend in Nashville? Well, when I woke up this morning, there was snow on the ground, just a super light dusting, but still, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It, uh, it, Nashville these days seems to have various 
uh, weather catastrophes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And other catastrophes, too. It seems to be a funny place these days. Yeah. Have you adjusted well to Nashville? I love Nashville. It's great. I mean, yeah, we've been having, it's been a hard year here, but um, I'm I'm super glad that I made the move over here. It was a, definitely a good idea. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, um, you, you know, you live in East Nashville. Yeah. Which is, which is cool and different too uh, than regular Nashville. I mean, it's like a community of its own. It's totally. It really is. It really is. It's its own little world and it's, it's very cozy. It is very cozy. And, and um, I'm sure it's upscaled since the days that I was there, but um, uh, I think it would be a good location. I know, I know people who live there, work with people who live there. So it's, um, uh, yeah, that's neat. So, all right, take me to when you learn to play the violin to, hey, I'm in Nashville now. <laughs> kind, of, kind of how does that happen? I mean, is that, was that a dream of yours as a child? Oh, no. No, not at all. Um, I, mean, I mean, all right, I'll get you to tell them, but you grew up in a music family. So, I mean, was that always something yeah. that you thought you would do? Well, I always figured I would play music, but my folks play music right. and uh, never did it professionally. As a kid, uh, my dad is a really insanely amazing musician. Um, I always say he's an alien, he's <laughs> totally, totally from another planet. Go ahead, tell him who your dad is, so then. His name is Dan Gellert, and he is a multi-instrumentalist, but I mean, I guess he's maybe best known as a banjo player, mm -hmm. but he's also my favorite fiddle player. He and, is a good fiddle player. Oh my gosh, yeah, and completely has his own voice on every instrument that he picks up. And uh, so growing up... um we spent time going to folk festivals and fiddlers conventions and stuff like that. And my dad was usually performing or winning a contest or right. something, but, but he had a full-time job reading meters for the electric company. And, um, the, the world of old time music is not really a world, at least when I was growing up, it wasn't really a world of professional musicians. It's, it's people who do completely other things oh. for money and and the music is you know maybe they might have a gig on the weekend sure. and pick up some money but it, it's not a i never saw it as a way to make a living right so that wasn't something you considered i mean I, no i never i never growing up i never thought i would be a professional musician that was just not on the radar at all did you learn a fiddle from your dad did he teach you or did you have not, a different teacher? Not directly. Um, my dad is a really intimidating musician. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> and, and, a very, and a very brilliant person. And there were times when I was a kid when I would ask 
to be shown something on an instrument. And honestly, my dad's brain just functions at this level where I think he didn't know how to bring it down to my level. Right. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people who can play but cannot teach. And, and you know, that that is a teaching music is a skill, really. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he does a decent amount of teaching now. And I, I, I think he's figured out a lot of stuff about teaching, but as a little kid, it, it was oh, just sure. so, it was so intimidating. And even though I really did want to play old time fiddle, I just, it was a combination of it seeming somehow out of my reach because it was so complicated in my right. brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also the the weight of how amazing my dad is at that specific thing right i do understand, I do understand. <laughs> it was a, it was a sense of like well i can never be that good at that thing and so wouldn't it be a disappointment for everyone oh. <laughs> if i did that so instead what i did was uh i started playing classical violin oh okay because that was something he didn't do. Right. I understand that too. <laughs> um. And there, there is a lot of music in my extended family. And my, my great-grandfather was a concert violinist and a composer. And so there was still a sense of familial connection right. in going in a classical music direction. Mm-hmm. And... I was really lucky that the public schools in Elkhart, Indiana had an amazing music program. Like really great, really great string program there. Oh, that is good. That's really good. Yeah. And so just in school, I had access to great teachers and great orchestra conductors. And that was most of how I learned. And I did eventually have a private teacher and got I got pretty into it, but I never I was never actually obsessed with it. Right. It was it was fun. I enjoyed the social aspects of orchestra, but it was also kind of stressful and competitive in it various is. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the classical music thing is very competitive and I'm not a competitive person at all. I don't I don't enjoy competition. And yeah, so at at some point I I kind of started to realize that that wasn't going to be my path ultimately. Well, and I do understand that too coming from the background that you I mean it's Fiddle and violin, one lends itself to um, playing things precisely and precise emulation, and the other is pretty much about improvision, which is, you know, they're the same and they're not. Um, You know, you work hard to play something exactly like it was played, where just the nature of fiddle music is, you know, Basically, you started this for people to dance to, and you got bored, so you came up with a hundred different versions of the same song. So you would, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I I started out too uh, classically, but then I had uncles. I had Irish uncles who 
were everything you expect of Irish people. They were um, fiddlers, and um, they liked to drink, and they were scary <laughs> guys, so they forced, oh, uh, you don't need to learn that stuff. You need to learn uh, Celtic music, which, mm. which to this, I, I did. I, I spent a lot of time practicing that, and um, to this day, I'm still not a big fan, but it laid the, <laughs> the groundwork. I mean, I, I discovered old-time uh, music uh, and spent time at Tommy Gerald's house and, you know, the different places. And um, I think more so just not to have to play Irish fiddle tunes, which <laughs> which I know Irish people, Irish lovers will not like me, but I can only play scales forward and backwards um, <laughs> with a funny little bow pattern for so long before it just... Uh, and then you have to throw in the uh, penny whistle and stuff. So, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is funny, though, how you start out and, and things morph into something else. I could have, yeah. I, I would have been a horrible classical violinist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it honestly wasn't until I, so I moved from Indiana to North Carolina to go to college. And, all through high school, I was actually really obsessed with old time music. I was listening to it constantly. I was going to old time music festivals. I just thought it was magical and wonderful. And of course, I'd grown up with that, but right. I, I began to engage with it as a, you know, pseudo adult as a teenager, you know, right. in this, in this way where it felt like my scene. And I still wasn't playing. Because I was still too intimidated. <laughs> oh, so you weren't playing with partners of any type at that point? No, I was just, I was playing classical music and listening to old time music. <laughs> did, did you get, did you go to college to play music? I mean, was that part of I the... went, I, no, I, I mean, I went to, I went to a tiny liberal arts school, hippie college called Warren Wilson mm, yeah. outside of, outside of Asheville in Swannanoa. Yeah. Super wonderful place. And certainly part of the appeal of going there was uh, the music and dance community sure. in that area. That was that was amazing to me coming from northern Indiana where like we were Yeah. We were very isolated as far as the the interest in that stuff. Um so yeah, the the regional music and dance scene was yeah, very Ash appealing to me. Western but, North Carolina, Asheville. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I wasn't going to this, even though there there is uh, traditional music stuff offered in the curriculum at Warren Wilson. That's not why I was okay. going there. All right. Um, but that is when I made the transition because I think just mentally and emotionally it's like i finally had this distance yeah yeah oh yeah i understand from my family and felt like i could sort of be in a place where i could experiment with trying to play old-time music and and it was a different environment and and so that's when i made the switch and i started trying to learn how to play the fiddle instead of the violin right now um 
so at some point did you say, hey, I'm good and I can do this and just went out and did it? I mean, how did that go? I mean, you make the transition, but you, are you still not playing? Or are you going to festivals and <laughs> doing the, you know, the festival jam stuff? Well, it was a very interesting freshman year of college because I just basically as soon as I started trying to play fiddle tunes, I got really obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And that was really the point when I realized how not obsessed I had been with classical music. Right. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, right. This is how this is the relationship you're supposed to have with the music you're playing. Uh. <laughs> and so I found that that thing. And I was like, well, I guess I guess I'm going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> and so I was really kind of hiding out in my dorm room, learning off of cassette tapes. Right. And started meeting local old-time musicians. It started with uh, meeting Phil Jameson, who is a professor at Warren Wilson. Mm -hmm. And he would lead little on-campus old-time sessions at lunchtime once a week. And so I started going to those and introduced myself and he knew who my dad was. I was getting ready to to ask you, did at some point that come up? Yeah. 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 And, and so he was excited about, about that connection, knowing my dad and, and the fact that I was trying to figure out how to play old time music. So he was so encouraging and, you know, wanted me to get out in the in the local scene right. and meet musicians and stuff. And so he was a wonderful connection to a lot of local musicians. And I would go to the Thursday night dances that were on campus, the old farmer's ball. Mm-hmm. And I loved going to the dances. And back then, at that point in time there were a lot of old time bands playing for right. the dances there hadn't completely switched over to all contra dance bands right. at that point <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was you know amazing amazing old time music being played at the old farmer's ball and so then i met uh trevor and travis stewart and so many other amazing old time players john herman and meredith mcintosh and um just very quickly got sucked into the the local old time scene and everyone wanted me to play i mean there at that point there really weren't many folks my age who were even interested in the music right. and so all of these folks who were older than me just scooped me in and and wanted me to hang out at all the all the jams and the dances and the parties and everything. And so I really very rapidly found my people there and, and found a scene where I could sort of safely sit at the back of a session and try to pick up tunes. And, um, and so it was, it, it was a pretty rapid progression once I started getting out there. Um, I guess because just because it was such a supportive community. And I'm taking it that you were, for most of that time, the, the youngest person playing? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like beekeeping. I've been a beekeeper and everyone I know, I'm an old guy and everybody I know is a hundred years older than I am. So, I mean, it's the same type of community, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, at that point, I really only knew a few people around my age anywhere that were old time musicians. Right. Yeah. It was, it, there were very few of us at that point. And, you know, Soon there were more, but uh, but at that time I I didn't know very many folks my own age who were playing. During this time, were you playing mainly around Asheville? Yeah, yeah, and you know, and then I would go back on on my breaks from school. I would go back to Indiana, and I would go to Chicago to play music with folks there, play dances, um, and. Yeah, the first time I played for Square Dance, I believe, was with Reese Jones in. It was either at a dance in Valparaiso or really? maybe in or maybe in St. Louis or something. I can't remember. That seems um, strange to me that they'd have Square Dances there. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. There are fun, funny little pockets of folk music activity all over the place. Yeah. Did uh, you remember the first job you got paid to do? Can you remember that? I do. I do. It was actually when I was playing classical music and I was still in high school. And uh, yeah, my my private violin teacher heard about a, an opening for so it was some kind of chamber music gig oh. and they needed another violin. And so I, I did it. I had a gig. I got paid for it. It was, I, I thought that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, that That's a good place to, to start getting paid. I mean, those jobs are, don't come every day either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was that was a pretty big thrill as I'm a sure. teenager to be like, whoa, people pay me money to do this? Yeah, all, all of a sudden it does get a little more interesting when you can figure out that, hey, I might can make some money doing this, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then once I did start playing for dances when I was in college, that was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Because there, there were a lot of square dances in the in the area around Asheville right. and um and people were always putting together pickup bands right, for yeah. for square dance gigs and yeah I mean I played a lot of dances and uh would be sitting there like while the caller was teaching the dance I'd be doing my homework and, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then put that down and pick up the fiddle and play the dance and it was it was great. It's a great scene. Oh yeah, I'm sure that was a great scene at that time. Um, and and there's still somewhat a old time uh, scene in in Asheville to a degree. Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah, yeah. lots lots of old time music there for sure. And around still the area. still a still a very active area for old time music. So at some point you picked up with the band probably right a, a, a real working band well um let's see as far as the the progress toward 
being a full-time musician. Right. So yeah, I would I had dance gigs and and stuff uh throughout college and then when I got out of college, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um I but I had this sense that I was probably going to go to grad school eventually. Right. And I thought I would take some time to just run around and be a vagabond musician right. for a while and do odd jobs and the way the way you do. Yeah. And uh so I I did I had various jobs, uh non-music jobs and little pickup gigs here and there. So I was like cleaning hotel rooms and working for a stonemason and you know, yeah, like various yeah. various other things. And then my f- the breaking point where I actually made the switch to being a full-time musician was when the dancer Ira Bernstein, mm-hmm. uh, he needed a fiddler for a European tour. And which was a, it was a few weeks, this tour. And I, you know, he asked me if I was capable of doing the things that were required, which was actually kind of crazy. Oh, really? <laughs> what he required, because he was used to touring with Ruthie Dornfeld. Yeah. I don't know if you know, she is, she's, mm-hmm. she's just an astonishing musician and so versatile such a versatile musician and because his show is a step dance thing and does he does all these different styles of of step dance and so i had to play not only old old time but i had to do irish i had to do french canadian i had to do jazz oh yeah that i had no idea how to do was that exciting or, or intimidating it was such an important moment for me because I knew that I didn't know how to do these things. And I told him you did <laughs> that I told him that I could, yeah. I didn't tell him that I did, but I, <laughs> but I, it was one of those moments where you just sort of charge ahead into sure. something and go, I can figure this out. And the reason I did was because, well, it was a really good paying gig, but also I'd never traveled overseas. Right. And it, so it was this amazing opportunity when I was just out of college and had no idea what I was doing with my life. And so I figured out how to do the stuff he needed me to do. And he was, he, this was a very generous thing he did. He had a little rehearsal retreat basically he had a gig in florida and so he flew me down for this gig as well even though ruthie was going to be there and then he set us up to stay for a couple days Uh me and ruthie so ruthie could basically teach me what she did in his show right which was so we had so much fun. That's great. <laughs> it was so fun, and so really, what I wound up doing was just trying to mimic exactly what she did, and I, it was 
not nearly as musical as the way she did it, but it was, I was able to get through the repertoire for the show. And in order to go on this tour, then I had to quit all my other jobs because I was going to be, I was going to be gone so long. And then when I came back from those travels, I was like, well, let's see what happens here. Maybe I can just get by on music alone. Right. And not long after that, the freight hoppers needed a guitar player. And that was another situation where I didn't really play the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, well, this would be a great gig. And so basically learned how to play the guitar sort of on stage. (laughs) And I also wasn't a singer. I didn't sing either. And I had, so I was going to play guitar and sing and I was not a guitar player or a singer. (laughs) And (laughs) I love that spirit though. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I just feel like it was, it was a, a moment in time where I, I don't know. I was young and I, just felt like, well, this will be an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. I believe the first time I ever saw you, you were with the Freight Hoppers, I believe. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was a child. Yeah. I think you were. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but I guess that was a fun experience. I mean, they really had a good thing going on for a while. David Bass is just such a, amazing well he's an amazing human being but his his fiddling was just a joy and yeah i yeah yeah he's a strange fiddler too before i before his renditions of stuff are totally his own yeah yeah talk about someone who's got their own voice on an instrument he has his own voice as a fiddler absolutely and so i mean so driving and so much energy. Right. And he actually, he is someone who, he kind of introduced me to the idea of busking because that yeah, was his, that was yeah, so, exactly. so his musical thing. Mm-hmm. And that was another way that I got by in that time. Like after getting back from, uh, well, I'm trying to remember what the, what the sort of, um, timing of it all was i guess it was maybe in the days after the freight hoppers that i ended up doing a lot of busking in new york city right so because at that time gas was really cheap Mm -hmm. oh yeah (laughs) and so it would be like "Uh uh-oh i'm running out of money (laughs) (laughs) so i would Get a friend, my my friend Jamie Herman, John Herman's son. Uh, he and I did this a few times. I think that we would just hop in the car and drive to New York. And my brother was living in New York at the time, so had a free place to stay, uh-huh. and just go out and busk all day, like it was yeah. a job, and would make enough money to drive back down to North Carolina with our pockets full and. We, and it would be so much fun. We would have so much oh, fun. <laughs> oh, I, did, I, I understand. I did it my whole college career. And, oh, it's uh, the best. You know, it's uh, free money to practice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and you have such amazing experiences. Like, 
Oh, some of the most beautiful. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, Really, some of the most beautiful performing experiences I've ever had have been in the subway in New York. Well, mine would have been on the streets of uh, New Orleans, but that works too, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So it is... um, Oh yeah, I think I think the best thing you can do as a musician is busk a couple of times. Um, uh, it'll grow you up in a hurry too. Uh, yeah, you know it's a it's a different thing, and pretty much you have to be as much an entertainer as you are a uh, instrumentalist. So it's a, yeah, it's a one of the harder jobs, but it's fun. It is fun. Yeah. Uh, every young person should do that before they go out and start a music career. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's priceless. Mm, it is. So, so then things. What happens next? You know, it it all gets a little bit vague in there. <laughs> but then at some point, uh, Uncle Earl got in touch. Yeah, they wanted me to fill in for a, a weekend, sort of a long weekend of gigs that they had out in Washington and Oregon, I think. And uh, I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. Of course and, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I drove, what happened was I drove over to Nashville from mm-hmm. Asheville and met Abby Washburn, Mm -hmm. and we just hit it off completely immediately. And then she and I flew together out to the gig and gigs. And, uh, gosh, we just had such a fun weekend of hanging out, all of us. And then it wasn't long after that the woman that I had been filling in for that weekend, she was in law school and just basically there were too many gigs that she couldn't right. do. And so uh, the offer came in to be the fiddler with Uncle Earl. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right fit for me. Uh because I was very, very hardcore traditionalist right. old time. And they were all kind of singer songwriter mm-hmm. folky. Um, and they liked old time music, obviously. <laughs> it, was, it was sort of a pseudo old time band in its way, but it was just not sort of, it wasn't really my aesthetic approach to old time music. Right. And so I was like, I love hanging out with you guys, but I don't know. I'll fill in and we can just sort of see how, how things go. And then as time went on, I just really loved spending time with them. And then Kristen Andreasen came on board and she was more an old time musician because she was, she was a dancer and she really sort of, that was, that was more her world in a way. And so I felt a little bit more like, oh, okay, maybe this could be a blend of old time right. music and this other aesthetic. And and yeah, in the end, I just really felt like 
these are people I want to be spending time with. This makes me happy. And I can kind of adjust my brain to this finding, finding this meeting point between all of our different musical backgrounds and, and that it could be its own thing. Um, and, and I so guess, I guess at that yeah. point too, the money, um, was, was better than, um, old time string band stuff anyway. Well, I don't know that the money was better, actually, because the thing the thing with Uncle Earl was that we we had such high overhead because we all lived in different places. Oh yeah, mm. <laughs> so it's like yeah. was it, it really wasn't it really wasn't like that great money wise, but the the fun factor was wonderful, yeah, I'm sure. and and everyone knew how to kind of take care of the business of keeping a band going, right? And so it it grew, you know, we got more gigs and, right. and things progressed and and the way that the music progressed was interesting to me. It was an interesting process of of creating this musical synthesis. Um, so I guess this so, is a big learning experience too, beside being It um, was. It was very, very mind opening for me because I started to realize sometime around then, I guess, that I'd basically grown up in a cult. <laughs> the, my, my musical world was so small. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say my musical world was small. It was profound my musical world had was was very very deep but narrow yeah yeah deep and narrow that's good that's a, that's a good analogy um and yeah i started to realize just how many different musical perspectives there are in the world <laughs> <laughs> and and that um my my sense of kind of policing the boundaries of the aesthetics of traditional music right uh, that that was a really not only pointless pursuit <laughs> <laughs> but kind of exhausting <laughs> and somewhat limiting yeah well very limiting right. for sure and and just realizing that people can come at music from a lot of different angles. And because I think something is idiomatically correct does not mean that's how it has to be right. played. Mm -hmm. And another aspect of that being, um, I had somehow gotten it in my head that if you did something non-traditional with non with with traditional music. So, right. say you took a traditional song and you made some wacky arrangement of it, right? Or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That that was that that was some sort of ego trip. Right. That was my perspective at that time. That you were saying, oh, this. 
this tune or this song isn't interesting enough as it is. Let me improve it. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was actually how I perceived it. Ah. And I started to realize that that was not true. <laughs> <laughs> and that, in fact, you could love the source recording of a piece of music with your whole heart and also love some other version of it and right. could love creating some other setting for that piece of music and that you can hold those things simultaneously and that one doesn't cancel the other out. Hmm. That's, and that's a great yeah. way to put that. I mean, I haven't ever heard it explained that way, but that is pretty good. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, I, because I've, I've been one to think that a good song can be done in a lot of different ways, but I, I never, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean I like any of the four different versions of it, but then I don't guess right, you have to like right. them all. Yeah. Right. That there's obviously, we all have our own personal taste. True. And so maybe I'm really not going to like the thing that you just did with Cotton Eye Joe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Cotton Eye Joe is a good example. <laughs> oh, you know, you can you can do the cowboy version, and you can do. I mean, yeah, you picked a good one there. It's <laughs> but but that doesn't mean that like it doesn't mean people aren't allowed to experiment with traditional material. True. And True. there there aren't rules about these things. And when I was younger, I. I I really thought there were, and I thought I knew what they were. <laughs> and I would tell you. <laughs> but yeah, Uncle Earl was so good for me in that way where I had to just sort of ease out of my little box and look around and go, oh, okay, there's a lot of different ways to be musical. <laughs> yeah, there he is. And still, and still be interacting with traditional material. So, yeah. All right. So, so what happens? You, I mean, Earl, Earl is going on. Uh, yeah. And it's doing pretty well. Uh, then. Yeah, we had an amazing run. We really did. It was. Um, there were a lot of incredible adventures that we got to have and got to share. And um, that really, that is such a special connection that I have with Abby and Casey and Kristen that we, we shared just such an amazing slice of life <laughs> with each other. And they are, they are family for sure and always will be. And I guess that brought a lot of attention during that time to your fiddle playing that was to a, a whole different group of people than what had known you as an old time fiddler. Yeah, I mean, it, we we played a lot of different venues and festivals and uh, yeah, I would say we've reached audiences that I probably would not have reached in a sort of straight ahead traditional right. time band. All right. Yeah. Which I guess helped down the road to 
to lead you into the next direction you went. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I mean, I'm sort of like, what direction was that? Well, I mean, I mean <laughs> but yeah, I sort of started because of, because of the uncle Earl right. experience. I feel like I not only met so many people who play so many different kinds of music. So my, my community of musical compatriots just exploded because of all the the different styles of right. of music i i got to you know i got to sort of have have little experiences in a lot of different musical scenes because right. of the uh the touring we did and the festivals we played and stuff were you bummed when that ended um well it was it was hard it was hard it wasn't it wasn't a very good band breakup situation right. i mean a lot of them aren't but Must have it was kind of Ab- abby and i both were sort of at a point where we were feeling like we needed some time away from that band right. and so it wasn't like I quit the band and everything exploded. It was like Abby and I were both at this point of not feeling like we wanted to commit to this huge pile of gigs that were on Mm -hmm. offer at that moment um, for various reasons. And so we felt like that was the right time to step away because there were all these amazing gigs on the horizon. So it would be easy to plug people in because it was a very desirable situation for someone to step into. I understand. And so Abby and I both left the band. So this would have been 2009, I think. Mm. Um, And, and Casey and Kristen, continued with with those those gigs that were sort of currently on on offer with a sort of rotating cast of characters which was the way that uncle earl had begun okay like that's the way the band had started and then we sort of solidified the lineup for this handful of years and then um abby and i stepped back out but then it was just too hard for casey and Kristen to kind of keep it going with this rotating cast of characters. And so they decided to sort of let it hibernate for a while. And then a few years ago, uh, we had an offer to do a reunion show out in Lyons, Colorado at the, uh, the Rocky grass festival. Mm -hmm. And Lyons is where Casey lives. And that was always kind of the, what we considered the band's home oh, was okay. Lions. And, and so that was really our community scene and we felt very connected to that community and they suffered this horrible flood. And so when they were going to have the, the first Rocky grass after their flood. So they were very much still in a state of recovering from this traumatic community experience Craig Ferguson, who runs Planet Bluegrass, um, was like, can we have Uncle Earl play here? Because that would be so meaningful to the community. 
And it was such a sweet offer. And so we all talked about it and it was kind of like the pain of what we had gone through in breaking up our little quartet right really um just dissolved in the in that moment of wanting to do something nice for that community and we reconnected in this really joyful way and it was it was so great that we were all like oh we could do this again <laughs> And so since then we have had occasional reunion shows. And so that's that's the current state of Uncle Earl now. Oh, that's good. So so it is it's very sweet that the band does now kind of exist in this form where it's like we get together for special occasions, basically. Well, and that's cool that you can do that, actually. Mm-hmm. There's been bands that I would love to be able to do that with that I've played in, but somehow it doesn't always work out that way. There's always yep. one holdout. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> one person that's got to mess things up, but I'm glad you guys got can do that still to the day, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So in that, so then in that time after Uncle Earl, you know, after Abby and I left Uncle Earl, um, I did various little old time kind of things here and there with, with folks. And then, and then Abby was doing her solo stuff. She had a solo project at that time and she ended up needing a fiddler for a decent amount of touring. And so I ended up being in her stable of of fiddlers that she used right and that was that was really fun we had some great times with that group and uh and that is how i connected with scott miller through through that through Abigail? was that yes because we the abbey band played on mountain stage okay and Scott Miller was playing on mountain stage uh-huh. and that was, so that was the first time I ever heard him and I was just blown away. Yeah, Scott's fabulous. He's so amazing. He's he so amazing. Is. And so I was in Asheville and he was living in Knoxville at the time. And so, you know, we connected there and then I sent him an email after and I was sort of like, hey, I'm just over the mountain. So if you ever need a fiddler for anything, let me know. I'd, I'd love to play with you. And I was thinking, you know, like for recording. Right. And he got in touch almost immediately and was like, yeah, you want to do some shows? <laughs> and I was sort of like, what? <laughs> And that was, uh, it was a little overwhelming because it was huge repertoire. Oh, yeah. And I had just met him. Like, (laughs) I wasn't familiar with Scott Miller's songs. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to do a lot of learning in a very short amount of time. But I I loved playing on his songs and and loved hanging out with him. and, And so that that became a, a regular thing. You know, I, I claim this, but you know, um, guys, 
that the going thing seems to be today is for what you and Scott were doing. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody is doing that. You know, I mean, we can take that all the way to Jason Isbell. Uh, I mean, you know, it's um, you guys kind of laid down what what you could do with that, and um, uh, it's um, it's afloat everywhere. I mean, uh, <laughs> I I love the idea that you that you think we set that. Trend. You did, you did. I mean, I mean, after that, after that point, after. After that, every time I looked around, there was somebody, and they had their fiddler. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't need a full band anymore, you know, and this is way better than, than a solo show. It's the best of both worlds. So, you know, right. And, and it, yeah. it, it, it's everywhere. I'm telling you, that's the hottest thing going in America right now. And <laughs> you guys started it. Of course, now uh, had, had, oh sure, sure. I'll, I'll I'll claim credit for the uh, guitar, fiddle, singer, songwriter well, thing. Had you guys not been really talented, it would not it would not have worked, you know. But it did. <laughs> it worked so well. So, you know, that's the first thing anybody people ask me, particularly about the show. Hey, you heard any new new young good fiddlers? That's not a guy. And I go, mm. <laughs> yeah, but guess what? They're playing with somebody. I know several of them you know but they're all playing um actually there's a fairly local girl who is getting ready to her and her boyfriend will probably be one of the next big people on the scene doing that so uh a girl named carly airwood um so uh but yeah i thought you guys started that so <laughs> I mean, and yeah. and truthfully, it's one of the best I've seen. I mean, uh thanks. You know, it's uh, it's really good. But yeah, I'm putting that on y'all. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was. I mean, playing with Scott was was a very big musical growth experience I'm for sure. me too. Because after, yeah, <laughs> I mean, after that was yeah, it was. It was really that was another situation where I kind of felt like I was stepping out into the void. Yeah, I think you were. I mean, uh, of course, you got him on the acoustic side and not the electric side so much. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. There were a few times I did play with the with the electric band, but right. I, I didn't really feel like I had much of a place in that. <laughs> It was it was fun. But oh, I'm I sure it was think fun. There, I didn't really think there was any reason for me to be there. <laughs> I mean, so, well, Scott has such a good live show anyway. I mean, I'm sure that yeah. most all of them were fun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love playing with him. I miss I miss it. I miss playing with him. I can understand that. Um, yeah, he is one of my favorite performers and songwriters. I like Scott a lot. So yeah. Um, and he, you know, he's doing what he has to do, I guess, these days. Yep. You know, doing a lot of farming. A lot of farming. So, you know, so then what happens? I mean, all right, you change the way acoustic music's going, and <laughs> then, then what happens? <laughs> um, while I was playing with Scott, I was working on my first uh, kind of singer songwriter album right that ended up being half traditional songs and half original mm -hmm. and 
uh, and it was my first singing project, right? Instead of instead of fiddle project, right. and that absorbed a lot of time and energy. And then I, like you do, sort of thought that when it came out, I would tour it, and that is so much more easily said than done. Especially for me as someone who had never been a front person or kind of run my own band. (laughs) Uh, It was, that was hard because it was like, wow, this is, I don't know if I can do this. Right. I can understand that. That is a hard chore in itself. Yeah, and and I also was running into serious problems because I had spent all these years playing the fiddle, and right. that was my identity. And so, making this very hard turn toward not only making a, a singing album, but kind of an arty album yeah, um, I agree. you know it was it was conceptual mm-hmm. no I enjoyed <laughs> and, it very much oh thank you um, and but it was really hard for me to kind of get any traction with say booking shows right because it was just it was weird and it it wasn't something that was established so right. Uh, that was hard. That was all kind of disappointing because I had put so much time and energy into that project and then felt like I couldn't really, uh, tour it and back it up well enough. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't really make that thing fly. And you couldn't get it exposed enough. Um, that is, uh, uh, I've been on that side, the critical acclaim that turns into, well, critical acclaim <laughs> right you know right yeah yeah i got some really sweet reviews yeah um <laughs> but you know the, yeah. the great the great thing about that project old light is the name of that one um is that i feel like the people who got it really got it yeah, yeah so, i agree with that so to this day like i'll have people come up to me at shows and talk to me about songs that are on that album in this very uh very emotional way right that makes makes me feel good where i feel like okay it it went out and found its people in its little quiet way <laughs> yeah i mean you know that's the art side of it sometimes that um you know it's the side of it that um you really get in to music for in the first place uh all the rest of it just is icing on the cake. So, yeah, you have to feel good about it. I mean, yeah, I mean, at least you didn't get bad pan reviews for it and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, I've been on that side too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so, so I, I guess solo is not something you really enjoy doing. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I like having ideas and seeing them through and right. and turning them into something. I've always loved the process of recording and and I I produced that 
project. And uh, that was a really good experience for me in a lot of ways. And I learned so much. Uh, And I learned a lot about what not to do, as you do. (laughs) That's part of learning, too. Yeah, but... um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I will do more solo things. I have I did do a, a solo EP not that long ago. Right. Um and but it was uh, aesthetically very different. Yes. Um, it much was. much more much more pared down. Um so I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to continue to create recordings under my own name that are mine in that way but I don't know if I'll ever do any serious touring in that way I've I've done some and I've had some good things happen I've done some very satisfying touring under my own name in in the UK especially Um, but yeah that's that's not a regular thing. And it's hard. I mean, that is really hard. It's easier to be a side man than it is to be uh, not only the front person, but the whole driver of the car, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I've done, when I've done touring as me with a band, it's, sure. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like I'm so constantly aware of, these dear friends of mine spending their time on my tour (laughs) and I want to, I want to pay them as generously as I possibly can. I want to take care of them. I'm, you know, so I'm, it's just an amazing amount of energy. It is. It really (laughs) is. It's just like wanting to take care of everything for everyone all the time and feeling, uh, feeling overwhelmed with the fact that people would even be willing to tour with me, you know, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I, I've, I've had some really joyful and fun experiences doing that, but it is, it's a whole machine that's hard, hard to keep a whole machine like that running. It is hard. I mean, that really is hard. But that's not the end of the story. I mean, no, it's day. not. It's not the end of the story because then, uh, once again, because I had a gig with Scott Miller at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival in San Francisco, I uh, heard Kane Welch Kaplan right. do a set. And I heard Kieran Kane playing the banjo and singing his songs. And I was like, who is that guy? And why am I not playing music with him? (laughs) And so I just basically germed him after their set. And I was, I was like, can we play music? (laughs) (laughs) And he at that time he wasn't really playing. Right. That was his that was his one gig a year. He was he was painting. That was what he was doing. He was painting pictures and not really writing songs or playing gigs. And 
you know, if he, he wouldn't say that he was retired from music, but he sort of was retired from music. <laughs> and so you talked him back into it. Shame on I you. Just, I just, I know, it's terrible. He escaped it. And, you know. I know. Yeah, I just, I just pestered the shit out of him. And, <laughs> and we started writing songs together. And then we got together <laughs> uh, as a couple. And then, and I was sort of like, uh, this is this isn't good. <laughs> like we can't we can't do music and be a couple. Um, but we decided to see how it went, and we love it. He is so and talented so too. Before I forget it, he's had um, some of some of my favorite stuff that's come out of Nashville ever. Uh, so he's. You certainly picked pretty well there, too, uh, to learn <laughs> from and to, uh, you know, I, I, that's a high-level talent pool there, I would think. Oh, yeah, it's it's amazing. I love I love writing with him, and I love, I mean, I, our musical aesthetic is just so aligned. I mean, that's what I heard the very first time I heard him play was like, whoa, he's everything he's doing is what I would do if I was doing that thing. <laughs> ah, well, I mean, was this sense of like, that's it, Well, really it's about having very minimalist tendencies. True. This is true. That's that. That's very much the meeting point. And it's so, it's just so rare to hear that, like to hear that on a festival stage mm. where someone is, choosing to do the thing that's groovy and not flashy. Right. And it it was it was just so obvious to me as soon as I heard him. I was like, well we need to play together. Well, I mean that's a <laughs> he's a great writer too before I forget it. Yeah. Besides, besides being a a uh, great player, and I guess you saw him with Fat. So that yes, <laughs> that's yes. another person who brings his. He can bring a wealth of talent in four notes. Um, yeah, I mean, so and then there's what a great band. And then Such there's a great Kevin, band. Yeah, that's, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, I can see why you would be attracted to that. So, how many <laughs> projects do you guys have now? Well, uh, I played a tiny bit on his last solo EP. All right. And he played on and co-produced my my last solo EP. And All then right. we have two, two. duo, full-length duo albums together. And, yeah, so this is, I mean, this is my my main musical project at this point. I mean, right. obviously I'm, I still do other things. I mean, right now the other, the other, the sort of satellite project for me is, uh, Joaquin Cooter. Yeah. His, his new album came out in October and I played on that and have gotten to do some shows with him for that. And 
we were planning on doing a lot more this year, but obviously that didn't happen. There again is the Mark Fain. I, I, I tell you that you and Mark have the best jobs of anyone I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, both of you just uh, incredible musicians who found really cool uh, people to play music with, you know. I mean, yeah, I feel I feel very, very lucky in my uh, in the musical experiences I've got I've gotten to have and that I continue to to get to have. Yeah. One of the things I have a lot of musician listeners and, you know, your spirit of I think I can do this (laughs) as opposed to (laughs) I don't know, you know, I might not know how, but I believe I can do it. You know, that that has put you on the right path. (laughs) I mean, you know. Yeah. But I also have to say I am also really good at knowing what I'm not good at. Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, I understand that. Sure. (laughs) You know, like I've talked to many people out of hiring me for sessions. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like. Uh, do you know what I do? Because <laughs> if you're just getting in touch because you want a fiddler, right? I'm probably not going to be capable of making the noises you want me to make. Mm. Uh. It's like the thing, the thing that I have learned about myself over time is that my, what I can bring is that I am willing and able to play less than almost any other fiddler I know. <laughs> yeah, but I, that is the beautiful part of music is so much of it less is more. I mean, it's not how many notes you play, but the notes you play. Uh, oh, my gosh. I just realized there's like a whole chapter of my musical experience that I've left out. Oh, let's get it. Well, because I was just thinking about the moment when I realized that that's what my that 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 was what my gift was was that I could happily play literally one note through an entire tune um was when I was with two bob crew oh I forgot about that too yeah I'm glad you brought that well, up cl- clearly yeah. I forgot about it as well cl- that, clearly again, that's totally was, different okay that that was a situation again where I wasn't in the band but I did a number of tours right. with them and so uh yeah that it wasn't like that was really my project but it is an is a very exciting and fun musical experience that i got to have which was playing loud loud rock music (laughs) with a with a sort of west african flavored jam band um but yeah it was i was recording with two bob crew and was i was overdubbing a fiddle part and basically came to the conclusion that the part that would fit in was a very rhythmic and repetitive single note <laughs> through literally the entire tune. And, and it was an epiphany where I was like, Oh my God, all this time I've been feeling like <laughs> I am somehow not, a legitimate fiddler because I'm not a virtuosic musician. Right. 
And I was like, this is, this is my gift. <laughs> I, I am happy to play one note. <laughs> I don't need anything else. And so this is, and so anyway, this is, this is how I have ended up talking people out of hiring me for sessions is because if you know this very minimalist droney thing that I do, and that's the sound you want, then I can do that. But if you're like, well, I'm thinking I want to sort of, you know, bluegrass thing on this, then I'm like, I'm not your man. Yep, I understand. I, I am not a bluegrass fiddler. Never have been um, bluegrass upright bass player, but not a fiddler. Um, you know, it, but yeah, I do understand that totally. Um, and yeah. I'm going on record because I told you this, but still, one of my favorite recorded fiddle parts is yours on uh, Lo Siento, uh, Spanish Burg, West Virginia. I mean, you just kill that thing. Oh, thanks. I mean, Gosh, what a great song. It is a great song. But uh, uh, your part on it is. Is, is as spectacular as the song. I mean, th th that combination was just really, it fit the song so well. Mm, thank you. So, thank you. you know, that a lot of times it's about fitting the music, you know, your part to the music as opposed to playing 14,000 notes. Right. You know, uh, man, that's just a, one of my one of my favorite recorded parts that anyone's played, and I know a lot wow. of fiddlers. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> well, thank you. You know, so, so um, I guess um, at this moment, uh, I are you still teaching? I am. That's been kind of how the pandemic has shaped things for me. Is uh, I don't have a lot of interest in doing online shows. Kieran doesn't have a lot of interest in doing online shows. And thank um, y'all for that. No, I, I don't mean <laughs> that like it sounds, but uh, I've been a part of them. I have seen a lot of them, and I, I wish a lot of people would not do them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we maybe an occasional thing here or there, but that's not, uh, that just hasn't, that just hasn't been, it hasn't been our go-to. We haven't been motivated in that direction. And I honestly have not, I haven't had the attention span to sit down and watch other people's shows. No, I, um, it's, I just feel like I've got the weirdest case of pandemic brain. But anyway, the thing that has evolved though has been, I decided to see, whether there would be interested, there would be an interest in online fiddle workshops. I was assuming there wouldn't be because everyone is teaching online. Everyone's offering workshops. Everyone's online all the time. But I was just like, well, I'll just see how it goes. Um, you know, I need it. I, I need to make some money, and this would be an interesting thing for me to do. You also have that old-time niche that you can, I mean, there's not, there is, but there's not a lot of places to uh, go learn old-time fiddle things. It uh, is It is very niche, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and since we've been at home and locked down, I have been 
playing a lot of old time fiddle music in a way that I honestly hadn't for years. And so I, I personally had an interest in kind of geeking out about fiddle stuff. So I just thought I'll, I'll offer workshops and see how it goes. And the response was so great. And the experience of doing the workshop, which the way I do it is a YouTube live broadcast. Right. So I'm not, I'm not seeing anyone. Right. <laughs> There's a chat. The chat window is where the interaction happens. Right. And the interactions though, in the chat window were so fun and, there was a lot of humor and people just really engaged in this fun way. And, and I've seen you bringing out some uh, different tunes too. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen you playing uh, on social media with um, new and different fiddle tunes um, that for me are not standard of some of mine. So that's always good to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to find Tunes and I, I guess you're going and, back finding older tunes now too, since you're, you know, maybe something you haven't been playing in a while. As, yeah, as totally. To I've, I've standard repertoire, you know. Yeah, I've been digging up all kinds of stuff that either I used to play and forgot or never learned, right. and um, so that's been really fun for me. And so, yeah, now I'm I'm trying to do one workshop a month. Oh, and, that's good. And it's been really fun and energizing and gives me gives me sort of a focal point which i need <laughs> no okay well this is a geek question for fiddlers out there how much of your fiddling is done in um non-standard tuning oh a lot yeah i mean basically a e a e uh, gosh, it depends. It, it depends. Um, well, the rest of them work basically the same, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there are so many different tunings. Right. Uh, I certainly do spend a lot of time in AEAE -E or, you know, GDGD, yeah. -D -D, whatever. G -D, yeah. Um, but there are lots of different tunings and, and that's a, a very fun thing to oh, explore is. on the fiddle. Um, and that's that's always also been a key part of how I accompany songs, you know, like with Scott or in the duo with Kieran or uh, on Joaquim's project. Right. I'm always in weird tunings. Right. Yeah, I can see that. <clears throat> well, I mean, you're really good at those tunings. Um, yeah, also, uh, you do have a very, I, I do like the sound of your violin. I don't know if you play more than one or you have a go-to one that you go to, but it's a very good tone. I do. I do play more than one, but my main fiddle was my great grandpa's. Ah, ah, that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And it, it is, it's really got its own sound for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, I can almost tell if it's you playing uh, from the tone of it. But cool. I'm, I'm quirky about tones, though, so I, I don't <laughs> think everybody has that. But uh, yeah, I can. Uh, I'm 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 pretty good with fiddles. I can almost tell you who's playing on songs these days. I've listened to some of yeah. the music. Yeah, I was gonna say fiddlers 
we get we get that we yeah. sort of we we tune in so much to tone in this way that's uh, well, it can be problematic how much we tune into it, tone. It can be plus, <laughs> plus, you know. Oh yeah, we while we're on this, um, you know, um, if you spent much time around Tommy Gerald, you did not get a real good experience with uh, intonation. <laughs> Which your intonation is very good, but that comes from, um, I guess, the classical start. Because I find a lot of old-time players' intonation is not very good. Well, it's part of the sound, though. I mean, I was going to say there's a complicated intonation issue with with old-time music because is. yes, it's, it's true that in some cases people are just literally playing something sure. out of tune. But there is so much uh, microtonal. True, and and that is part of the sound. In, yeah, in the music, and and I feel like I um, that with time I've gotten more attuned to the microtonal stuff right. in a way that I definitely was not when I was younger. Um, but I still feel like I'm missing a lot of subtlety yeah. in that in that realm i feel like uh like kirk sutfin yeah. for instance he has a way of nailing these subtleties of tone that are, it's just so beautiful it's so beautiful <sighs> my god um and and you hear him play and he sounds like a dead guy right you know, he sounds he sounds like someone on a seventy eight, right? And and I really, I mean, obviously he's a very musical person, but I feel like so much of the the thing that evokes that those old recordings is the the intonation, the yeah. subtlety of his intonation, bow patterns too, more so. Than, oh yeah, oh yeah, more so than any other fiddle uh fiddle violin uh genre that you want to put it in the old time fiddling bow patterns are as key to it as anything too yeah i mean that's something that you have to work on really hard um it's uh, yeah it's an entire the right hand in in old time fiddle is an entire language it is i mean it it really is um uh, and I schooled a lot on the round peak fiddle style, so you know it's uh, it works great for dances. Um, maybe not so much for other contemporary stuff, but it uh, it's fun, you know. Yeah. So, so what do we have lined up from this point on for 2021? How's it look? Are you going to be back touring in any time soon? Well, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, uh, we have, you know, things, things that Kieran and I had booked for 2020, right. uh, there are a couple festivals that have been in touch saying we're hoping we can go ahead, but we don't know right. yet. So for later in the year, um, so that's just totally a wait and see situation. We're not 
actively booking anything yet. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I know Joachim is feeling hopeful about moving forward with some touring stuff. And I don't think any of that is actually on the books yet either. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful about that as well. Uh, are the two of you have it's, any more projects that you're working on together? Uh, me and Joaquim or, well, or me and, and Karen. Karen? Yeah, you and Karen. Um, well, yeah, we actually, <laughs> we actually just booked a day of studio time. Okay, that's, that's good. I mean, it's is. an experiment. It's an experiment, but it's a situation where we know we're going to feel safe. And so we're going to do this. And we have a handful of things that would be new things for us to record. And have so... You, have you both been writing a lot during this time? No. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't. We've both really been struggling. Uh, and we've done a lot of writing together. Right. And... When the pandemic hit, it was sort of, we just were so unmoored by this crazy disruption and we have really not been able to hit a stride with writing. We've done some, it's not that we haven't done any, but I, I hear that. Not, it's not, it's not what you would expect. Sort of like, oh, we're at home. We'll just write a zillion songs. Yeah. It's I, like, I, wow, I, that has not happened. So many people have told me that and I felt that. That way myself, I, you know, right when it first started, it was like, yeah, I can write some stuff. And it's like it beats you down after a while. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I just, I just, I can't, I just can't get up to doing it. I mean, maybe I'm just not living enough these days to uh, have anything to write about. I don't know. But uh, so many people, I hear that from so many, so many writers. It's like, no, I haven't, I haven't written hardly anything you know yeah well that's that's reassuring yeah that's reassuring to hear because it is it's just this is a really weird time we're living in it really is i mean it really is i'm fortunate that i have had one round of uh vaccine so oh um, congratulations yeah nothing happened to me i don't have a chip in me uh (laughs) (laughs) well you don't know it well well (laughs) hey my fingerprints and, and my blood type and my cell phones have been everywhere, so I'm sure they can find anything about me they want to know. Oh, I know. I feel the same way. And not much. There's not much to know. I mean, it, it's uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, but the downside of that is that makes me old if I'm getting a uh, vaccine. <laughs> you know, that's the downside. But it's okay. Well, I certainly wish you guys the best in 2021. I, 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 I'll look forward to anything that um, comes out from either one of you guys. Um, oh, thanks. Actually, you know, Karen would be a really good interview for this show too, don't you? Oh, he'd be such a great interview for this show. Can you talk him into it? Sure. Do I have to go He's... to an agent or something to, to do this? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'll just I'll just holler down the stairs at him. Yeah, okay. Just, um, you know, a, a, ask him if he would like to, and and um, uh, he's got such great stories. I know he does. Uh, yeah, 
um, yeah, he would be he would be really great if you can talk him into it. You can give him my telephone number or email, and I can set up something that works for him too. I will. I will. Because um, yeah, he's got stories too. Yeah, I'm always I'm always pestering him about it because I feel like I I need to do more documenting of his stories, especially his stories of when he first came to Nashville and that yeah. that songwriting scene. Right. Uh, really, really, he had a really special experience with that community when he first got here. Yeah. And yeah, so you should totally. I, I should him. because be that would actually get um, a lot of that out there, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll set something up. Okay. You've been a great guest. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, again, thank you for your time. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for giving me something to yeah. do on a Monday morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, this is fun. This is a fun project for me too. I will tell you the truth. This, um, I bet, I bet it is. Uh, I have a ton of stories through this. Um, also, I'm working on a book to go along with it. So there's, oh, <laughs> it's been entertaining for sure. For, and I couldn't actually. Uh, the pandemic has been really great for the podcast because it's exploded during the pandemic and I, I feel kind of bad about that uh, <laughs> but I mean people have time to listen and they haven't had time before to give it yeah listen, so yeah um, so I'm great feel lucky there all right this has been wonderful and you guys take care of yourself and stay safe thanks you too all right bye-bye all right bye magazine and wrote the whole town up for the AARP. Called it number one place to retire. So the rich folks came and the taxes got higher. With their healthy hair and their perfect spouses, they built these mansions and big cow palaces. And the Athenian elite were all walking around with their noses up as they looked down on the people born who could not afford to live in their own town. No more Lo Siento. Named it Spanish Trace, West Virginia. 